Good morning, New City. I so miss worshiping with you all. I'm glad that we can do this on YouTube, but I am definitely looking forward to the next time that we can worship in person together. In the meantime, I've been checking in with people, trying to hear what their life is like in the midst of the stay-at-home order. Some of you I know are working. Uh, I've also been talking with people outside our community, and I've been hearing an, a number of different stories about what people's lives are like and what their experiences are like. One person that I talked to, he's a pastor in another city, and he has talked about the way his life has changed. Uh, they have a number of people in their community who lost their jobs, so they're trying to help provide for their basic needs in the midst of all that is happening. And so what he normally has done as a pastor in his normal workday has, has changed, and now most of his time is spent sort of coordinating volunteers and getting uh, food shipments and then distributing or getting people to come and pick it up when they can, all under very strict lockdown orders. And uh, he was sharing what some of this was like, and, and basically the sentiment that kept coming out, coming out as he was sharing with me was just how much everything is not working for him. Like everything is different, and so they're having to learn a whole new set of responsibilities and routines, and what is clear is that this is not easy. And it has been discouraging. He's not getting nearly as much stuff done as he has wanted to, and it's left him feeling, um, you know, that discouragement when you're trying to get work done and nothing seems to be working, and it just is frustrating. He doesn't know how long it's going to last. There's a sense of he doesn't feel very good at what he's doing, so there's the discouragement that comes from not feeling like you're kind of operating in your sweet spot. There's a that, So there's that lack of identity and purpose in that. Just all through it, he just was struggling and feeling like there's a lot of loss, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, and a lot of discouragement about all these new things that he has to do. And as I reflected on some of the things that he's sharing, I was aware that this is really normal. So many of us are in this place where life has changed. Like fundamental things have changed. Our kids aren't going to school anymore. We're now homeschool teachers if you have kids or if you're home living alone, you're not seeing people you're used to seeing. So many of our rhythms are different. Our whole world has been put in flux. And in the, in the midst of all of these changes, as we try and do new things and find new ways to find meaning and purpose and connection with one another, sometimes it doesn't work. And that can feel really discouraging. What's more discouraging is we, we try and look out into the future. We're not sure when things are going to change. I mean, when you start to plan how the summer is going to unfold, it's hard to know what summer is even going to be like. If kids can go to summer camp, if there's going to be any childcare, if we get to go on any vacations, or if we're going to be home all summer long. When you start to think about when you're going to next get to see people and be in community, whether it's coming to New City or working uh, in the same building as your co-workers, there can be a, a sense of sadness and that discouragement can start to, to move towards despair, like is this ever going to change? For others of us, there can be discouragement around work and identity that can lead to despair when we start thinking about what does this say about me? Am I any good at this? can be real loss in those transitions and also feel discouraged just generally by the lack of progress. It, it just feels like I thought we'd be farther along in, in terms of coming out of the stay-at-home order 
than we are by this point. And so then you start to think, what is this going to, is this going to go on all summer? And then is there going to kind of, once we hit fall and flu season again next winter, is this going to tick back? Like, is this our just new normal? That can lead to despair. Discouragement is an emotion that you and I feel when things aren't working out the way they're supposed to. When circumstances of our lives aren't going the way we expected. Despair is what happens when that discouragement goes on for longer and longer and we start to, to lose hope that things are ever going to go back to the way that they were before. Discouragement and despair exist on a spectrum and what I have noticed is that many of us are experiencing something in between the discouragement to despair spectrum at varying degrees throughout our lives right now. And the presence of these feelings, discouragement and despair, can have an impact on our well-being. It can significantly impact our spiritual lives because when we're in despair, when we're deeply discouraged, we often have a very limited capacity to notice God's presence or what he is doing in our lives. Even if he's right next to us, we can be blind to him because of our despair. That's what's happening in our passage for today. There are two disciples, this is an afternoon, evening of Easter day, who are walking on a road to Emmaus, and Jesus comes up and walks with them, but they are blind to his presence. Listen as I, we're going to go kind of through this passage in chunks. So listen as I read the first few verses from Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. So these two disciples are walking along their, um, or walking along the, along the road, and Jesus in resurrected bodily form shows up and starts walking with them, asks them what they're talking about. And Luke says that they, they, they came to a stop and their faces were downcast, so discouraged and in such despair were these disciples that when Jesus asked them this question that caused them to reflect on what had happened, they literally come to a stop and just look at the ground in sadness. And then Luke says that the, the two disciples were prevented from recognizing him. And this is a really peculiar statement. At first, there's sort of this sense that the Spirit is, is keeping them, for, for dramatic reasons, from recognizing him. But what I did is I looked up some of the other places that Luke uses this verb, and it happens in two other places. And then I want to read these two other places to you. And as we do, I think actually what Luke is trying to say is that they're unable to notice Jesus because of something that is going on inside of themselves. They're, because of something in themselves, they're kept from noticing Jesus with them. Now let's look at First uh, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 44. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. This is Jesus talking. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So here, Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples before he's going to be crucified, he's trying to explain to them that he's going to get turned over to these religious leaders and they're going to persecute him, but they couldn't understand him. It was like kept from them. It's like there's something in them, even though Jesus is trying to explain it, they still can't understand. It's like this hidden, mysterious thing that Jesus is trying to describe to them. They just don't have the capacity to comprehend this same word uh, that is talk where that Luke uses to describe being kept or hidden from them is used in chapter 18 as well. Listen as I read that, starting in verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. What's clear is that something is hidden from the disciples, but it's, I don't think God is hiding it from them intentionally because Jesus is in the act of trying to explain it to them. So it's unlikely that while Jesus is trying to explain something, God or the Spirit is trying to hide it from them. It's more likely that there's something about the disciples, about what they believe, that keeps them from understanding. Like Jesus is describing the kingdom, but they just can't get it. It's so different from what they expect that they can't see it or they can't understand it. The point Luke is making is not that God is messing with disciples and, and just making it so that they don't understand things. The point is that the disciples are expecting the Messiah's life and his ministry to unfold very differently than the way it's going to unfold. The disciples can't fathom that Jesus would go to Jerusalem, be arrested, tortured, and crucified. They can't recognize Jesus when he comes up to them on the Emmaus Road because, again, they just can't, it's not comprehensible in their mental structure or worldview, that the savior of the world would be a suffering servant. I can't contemplate a God who comes to his creation and then is rejected, tortured, and killed by the ones he created. This is why they don't recognize Jesus and they can't see him is because it's too incongruous for them to have God suffer and for God's purposes to be accomplished through suffering. This is clear in what they say next. This is how they respond to the question. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. 
So even though they're starting to hear stories from these women and Peter that, that maybe Jesus is alive, they still struggle to believe. This was all so disintimate, so outside of the realm of how they understood the world to work and who God was, that they just couldn't accept this information. And when Jesus stands and walks in, they couldn't see Jesus as he was, marred by suffering. For them, the way the world works is that when God comes into your life, God's presence and his favor translates into triumph and success. God helps us. God saves us. God rescues us, which means things go better. So they can't understand how Jesus could be God's chosen one and then experience such suffering, rejection, and failure. And this is the exact thing that Jesus was talking about in Luke 9 and Luke 18 when Luke had said it was hidden from them. So what is hidden to them, what they can't make sense of, is how God could be present in suffering and accomplish his purposes through suffering. For them, and for us, if we're honest, we think that God's presence means that he will save us from suffering and hardship and difficulty, that he will rescue us from these sorts of things. We think that when the world falls apart, that God has left us or abandoned us or that he isn't with us in our suffering. And these disciples, they're so attached to this vision of the world that that when Jesus suffers, they're just overwhelmed with grief because then that means that can't be God. That can't, he can't be the savior of the world. And in their sadness, then they are blind. The true meaning of the kingdom is hidden from them because they can't get past the suffering and the failure. Here Jesus is right there with them, walking beside them, but they do not recognize them. And this is how it is for you and me. When we are attached to visions of external success, suffering and hardship cause us deep discouragement and ultimately despair. And when we are in despair, we are blind to God's presence and the purposes that he is accomplishing through us. So, Jesus knows this. What does he do? He comes to them. He tries to explain it to them that suffering is the way it had to be for a God who loves. Listen to what he says in the next verses, starting in verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe that all, the, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus is trying to explain to them that suffering and being rejected is just, it's at the very heart of what his calling as Israel's Messiah was to be. This is how it's going to be for God, he says. This is how it was always predicted that it would be for God. God loves the world. The world is full of sinners. And that means when God comes into the world and loves sinners, they're going to reject him. And he's going to be hurt by sinners. Still, though, even though he explains how Moses and all the prophets pointed to this reality, which would have been amazing to hear Jesus teach the Old Testament, they still don't get it. They're so committed to their thinking that God's presence is synonymous with victory, acclaim, power, control, security, survival, success. 
everything that's opposite of the cross, that they just can't accept it. So, they, but they're being hospitable. So they invite him to stay. Listen as I keep reading. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. So it's only in this act of breaking bread and giving it to them that they finally recognize Jesus. So familiar was this act by Jesus because he had done it so often when they lived together. Then, once they had recognized him and he disappears, but then they, they're able to look back on that whole experience when they walked on the road with him and they were blind to seeing him and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In hindsight, they were aware of that inner resonance that was happening within them as Jesus was right there walking with them and explaining that the Messiah must suffer. They were able to look back and see this. And this whole passage of scripture is so poetically written and such a a beautiful picture of how this process of them coming to see God is. Um, Because it describes, Luke tells the story in such a way that it really describes a transition that all of us must go through. All of us come to God because We think that God is going to fix our life, much like these two disciples did. They thought that having God in your life meant things were going to go great. So you try and be really good. You try and earn God's favor. You try and do the right things. You try and be close to God. And you ask for God's purposes to happen in your life, thinking that God's purposes are things are going to go well. God's going to bless me and and good stuff is going to happen. Then discouragement happens, disaster strikes, life doesn't unfold the way that we want it to. And our immediate response is always, or was first discouragement, but then it goes to despair. And in the midst of the sadness, when our life is falling apart, we're always, we, it doesn't feel like God is anywhere near to us. And oftentimes, our sadness and discouragement, it blinds us so much to God's presence with us that we, we turn in rage to God. How could you let this happen? Where are you? Do something. Why don't you care about me? But if in the midst of our grief and our experience and our sadness, if we notice something that causes our eyes to be open and all of a sudden we see the way that God is right there with us, then all of a sudden we look back and we notice the way our hearts burned for God during our time of discouragement and despair. We notice the way that God was so near to us in our sadness, but in the moment we were just blind to him. For these two, it's something like that. 
Her heart was longing for this kind of savior that this man who walked in the road was describing, a savior who suffered for his people because he was so compelled by love to reach out to them. A God who longed to re repair relationship with humans, a, a God who comes to us over and over even though we've rejected him, a God who, who wants to help us understand even when we're a God who, who seeks us out when we're in despair and walks with us through our grief. As Jesus described this kind of God to these two disciples, you know their hearts were burning within them because this is exactly the God you and I long for. But still they couldn't see them. So committed were they to a life of external success and how badly they, they longed for God to be that kind of God who just fixed things. They were blind to Jesus, distracted by his suffering. Somehow, they made this transition. They noticed Jesus, their eyes are open. Let go of the resistance to finding God and the pain and the suffering and the hardship by just focusing exclusively on the external world and started to discover how good it was to just be with God, even when things weren't working out in the the hidden places of the kingdom. This is where God dwells, in you and in me. He dwells with us in obscurity. The external world is defined by health, success, riches, status, esteem, control over people and things, security. And you and I, like these disciples, are attached to these things, and we often want God to make those things come to us. God doesn't. God comes to us in hidden ways. Now, often it's only when those things fall apart, when we get sick or lose money, or worry about work or have conflict with a spouse, or we have to discover Jesus because we just need him so badly. It's in our grief, our discouragement, our despair. That God is trying to shake us into seeing the hidden ways that he is working. And if we stay in our despair, we're blind to God. Because when we're in despair, we're only looking at the external world. But Jesus comes to us. He speaks to us. He reaches out to us in the ways he did to these two disciples, calling out to notice his presence with us, to notice the way God's purpose purposes are accomplished through suffering and hardship. He wants to wake us up out of our despair so that we can discover the good ways that God is already with us, right next to us, and God is accomplishing his kingdom purposes in us. A little over a year ago, I was in a place where I was feeling like despair. The psalmists talk about despair as being stuck in a pit, mired in mud, and I was feeling that over a friendship that I was having some conflict over. And I really wanted God to just fix this relationship prayed about it, and so, but I couldn't figure it out. So I, I went to a mentor, a spiritual guide, and was talking to him about this conflict. And what I remember is how utterly unmoved he was by my troubles. I think I, I, I would have loved for him to tell me three things to do to fix a relationship, but short of that, I at least wanted him to sympathize with me. Often when we're in despair, that's what we really want. We want somebody to say, wow, 
you have it so hard. Life has not been fair to you. You've been treated especially badly. But this mentor of mine, he didn't do that. I mean, he didn't shame me or criticize me or condemn me for being in a place of discouragement or despair. But he said very clearly that in my despair, I was not seeing things correctly. In your despair, you're not seeing things correctly. And so as I talked to him, this became increasingly clear that he saw things differently than me. I was in despair, so, so I wasn't seeing things correctly. I was blind to God's presence in my life. I was blind to the purposes that God was accomplishing in this conflict, this sadness, this pain, this hurt, this suffering. But this friend of mine, he saw things differently. He was looking at the hidden realities of my life. He saw the way that, that my hurt it's causing me to cry out to God for help. Saw the way that my desire for prayer was being increased in the midst of this conflict. Saw the way that I was becoming more humble, more self-aware, more self-reflective. Saw the way that my understanding of leadership had changed. He noticed the way that my relationship with power was changing. The circumstances that brought me despair they moved him to tears of joy. We were seeing things differently. In my despair, I thought I was experiencing something like ruin. But he saw something like salvation. As I looked at external circumstances and felt despair, he looked at my hidden life with God and was filled with hope and joy. In that conversation, I was just like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I was blind to what God was doing, but as I look back, I noticed my heart was burning within me, longing for God, for these things that were happening within me. My friend, he was right there by my side, pointing out and noticing how God was with me and how God's, God's purposes were being accomplished. The same is true for you. For the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows up right next to them, literally in his resurrection body, and, and then tries to explain how God's presence and purposes are accomplished in suffering. For you and me, it's probably not going to happen. Jesus probably isn't going to show up in his resurrection body. But the Holy Spirit is with us. God comes to us through his Spirit. So we can notice that within us. But oftentimes, like what happened to me, sometimes we need somebody else who's listening to the Holy Spirit and can notice the Holy Spirit in our life. Because when we're deeply discouraged or experiencing despair, sometimes we're just not seeing things correctly. We're only looking at the external things and we're not noticing the hidden things that God is doing. So I wonder, when you're deeply discouraged or when you're in despair, who do you talk to? Who helps you to see correctly? Despair blinds us to God. But when somebody who is seeing God's presence and purposes comes alongside, it can change our focus and we can be moved out of our despair into a place of hope and joy as we celebrate the hidden things that God is doing in our lives.
So if you're feeling discouraged or if you're in despair today, I encourage you to consider that question. Who do you talk to? Who do you pray with? Who do you share with? Who helps you notice the hidden things in your life? But I also want you to consider if somebody around you is experiencing discouragement or despair, how do you help them to see the hidden things of God? It, it starts with yourself, you know, just working to notice that in yourself. But it also then goes to, to paying attention to what God is doing in those around you and asking questions celebrating, encouraging, and affirming the hidden things of God in their life. Things of faith, hope, love, desire for God, desire for prayer, humility, gentleness, self-control. When you see those things, call them out. These are the, the hidden things of God that God does in us. Wherever you are today, I hope you will notice God's presence with you. He is with you by his spirit today. And God's purposes are being accomplished in your life. No matter how discouraging the external circumstances are for you right now, God is with you and God is accomplishing his purposes in you today. Amen.